right. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good. Very, very good. Uh, I was gone last week. I've been in North Carolina all week uh, training uh, missionaries and humanitarian aid workers from literally all around the world, which was amazing, from, from Syria to Ethiopia and Guatemala uh, to Colombia to Haiti to Africa. Uh, it was a, kind of a glimpse into heaven, a smorgasbord of people, uh, which was uh, delightful, really enjoyed it, but you're always very near and dear to my heart. Uh, think about you often when I can't be here. Listen to Alex's message. He crushed it last week. Uh, did a great, great job. Um, so um, anyways, great, great, great to be back with you. Also just want to give you a little bit more housekeeping uh, and, a, and a little hint. As long as you're eating and drinking, you can have your mask off. So uh, don't all make a run for the hospitality table, but a little, little hint there. Um, so we've been in this series for the last several weeks, as Alicia reminded us this morning. It took us three weeks to get through chapter one. Uh, we are going to pick up the pace a tiny bit, uh, but not much. There's only three chapters in this beautiful book, uh, in this series that we have very creatively titled Second Peter. Uh, and so we're going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, if you would open those. If you do not have your Bible, uh, grab your uh, phone or your tablet or whatever it might be. You can also grab... Uh, Bible in a seat in front of you. It can open up uh, to the book of 2 Peter. If you're new to church, new to the Bible, new to Christianity, uh, or, or maybe you just don't really know where the books of the Bible are yet, uh, if you go towards the back uh, of, the, of the book called the Bible, it's in the New Testament. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, head back to your left, you'll find it. It's a short little book, little epistle written by Peter, uh, written to the churches throughout Asia Minor. Uh, they are under deep persecution and corruption. Uh, that's the setting of what's going on. It's written right around 64, 65, 66 AD. So very fresh after the death of Jesus. Uh, and there's a lot of false teaching going on as well. Uh, if you would, biblical version of fake news. And, uh, and so Peter is writing to address these things. He, he's writing in love. He's writing with deep affection for these individuals that are not just names on paper. These are people he, he deeply cares uh, for. And so he's writing uh, this epistle. And, and as I mentioned, we finished chapter one, and we now come to chapter two, and a very significant change in Peter's approach. Now we're gonna find this if you uh, contrast that from chapter one. I say a change in his approach, not his goal. And that's an important fact for us to remember. His goal is still to make us firm and stable and unshakable in our faith. That's why he's writing. And, and Lord willing, that's why you come to church as well, to continue to strengthen your faith even stronger than it was uh, today. Fully devoted followers, that's what we're, we're trying to accomplish here at Rock Creek. Uh, but it was certainly what Peter was trying to accomplish as he wrote uh, this letter, this strong foundation. But his approach that we're going to see this morning is very, very different of how he addresses this. In this chapter, we find no commands, no admonitions, no imperatives, just uncontaminated, frightening descriptions of what's going to happen if you fall. So I'm going to be real upfront honest. Uh, one of the things that, that we do, we don't ever skirt around here at our, our church. We don't ever skirt 
uh, passages. We don't ever skirt uh, verses. We don't ever skirt topics because they're uncomfortable. We're not afraid of offending you or ruffling your feathers. We're just going to give you the word of God. Uh, this is not a very fun chapter. Let's just be honest. I, I told Sandy this morning, I'm like, there's not humor in today's uh, message. But it does need to be preached uh, for, for a number of reasons, most notably so that you aren't blown by the seas of the world. Um, because it was prevalent in Peter's day and it's prevalent in our days. So we're going to be jumping into this of what will happen to those who fall to the false teachers in the church. If you would please stand, let's uh, begin by listening to the word of God, Second Peter chapter 2. We're just going to do four, uh, three verses this morning. And then next week, uh, Mark Arnett is going to wrap up chapter 2, uh, digging into this in a much more detailed manner. But first, verse one. But there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their own shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. We'll talk about that with stories that they have made up. This is in contrast to verse 16 of chapter one, which says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Amen, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may have a seat. So in this passage, we're going to see warning, 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 warning. We're going to see it all throughout chapter 2. Now, it's important when we see things repetitively throughout Scripture, we can see hope over and over and over. That tells us, well, I, I can pretty much bank my life on hope, which we have done most in this room and for those of you who are watching online. We also see warnings from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Warning, 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 warning. It's important we take those warnings to heart. It's important that we don't just dismiss those, and we're going to see why. And, and this particular chapter in our passage, but also what Mark's going to cover next week, the warning is very closely tied to doctrine. And it appears in, in looking at our day today and then looking at Peter's day, not much has changed. R.C. Sproul, uh, one of my favorite writers, scholars, theologians, in 2017, here's what he wrote. We are living in perhaps the most anti-intellectual period in the history of Christendom. Not anti-academic or anti-scientific, but anti-mind. I doubt there has ever been a time in the church history, which we can argue that, when professing Christians have been less concerned about doctrine than they are in our day. We hear almost daily that doctrine does not matter, that Christianity is a relationship not a creed. There is simply no indifference towards doctrine, but outright hostility, which is exceedingly dangerous and lamentable. We cannot even do a cursory reading of the word of God without seeing the enormous emphasis accorded to doctrine and that unsound doctrine and false teaching are not merely errors in abstraction, but are profoundly destructive to the life of the people of God. I told you that this isn't very fun. It's warning. All this morning is going to be a warning. All next week is going to be a warning. 
And the reason why this is so important is because every day, every minute of every day, every week, every year, every month, there are those who have come to church, they have heard the truth, they have accepted the truth, and then they walk away. They get to a point where the truth doesn't matter anymore and they follow their own paths. They follow their own reasoning. But doctrine matters. It is absolutely crucial because doctrine consists of core truths, including in part, you're gonna see part of of what this looks like as far as our doctrine of, of staking a claim that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. Here's part of it. That includes the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture. We covered that several series ago. That there's one eternal, ultimate, triune God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The undiminished deity and the true humanity of Jesus is part of our doctrine. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his substitutionary death for sin, miraculous bodily resurrection, and literal future return is part of our doctrine the special creation and then the fall of humanity, salvation by grace and faith, the church instituted by Jesus Christ, the eternal life of believers and then the condemnation of unbelievers, personal and prophetic eschatology. This is all part of our doctrine. I love that song that the, that the team led us in, I Believe. The reason why that is so powerful is that's all doctrine. That's all, you just sang a doctrine song. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Here's a little side note. If you want to know, what do I do if I'm struggling, if I'm going through a rough season in my life, if I'm, uh, if I'm having doubts, if I'm having a bad week, if I'm going through a crisis, uh, one of the ways that you can very quickly combat what's going on in your mind is just stand up and start walking around saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It is the sword at which you combat the enemy's attacks on you. And that is so important because the alternative is to sit and just keep being attacked. It's just to be keep being punched. And we don't punch physically. As believers of Jesus Christ, we fight spiritually. And we fight with truth. Everybody understand that? It's really, really, really important. So sound doctrine and solid truths matter. And in God's loving mercy, he didn't have to do this, but in God's loving mercy, he has been warning his creation, humanity, for thousands of years. He could, if he wanted to be one of these teachers or professors, you remember these teachers or professors, they give you a pop quiz. No preparation, no content, nothing. They just say, put your stuff away, pop quiz. God isn't a pop quiz man or being or deity. He gives you all the answers. All of his promises are yes and amen. What are those promises? Read your Bible. Every single one of those are yes and amen. But he also gives us warnings. He says, don't step there, don't look there, don't talk there, don't interact there. We don't have to wander around looking, trying to figure out what does God want of us. But because of that, there's a responsibility that falls on our shoulders. He's been warning us and warning us from from biblical writers to modern day scholars to today. There's not a soul on this planet that will be able to say, I didn't know. 
And so that's what we're unpacking because he loves us. And because he loves us, he warns us. Uh, Peter says that if you contradict the doctrine and the character of God's people, you will fall. We saw that in chapter one. It's not an if, it's not a possibility, it's definitive. You will fall. If you, if you go against the doctrine and you go against the character of God, now it might be a judgment day, it might be the end of your life, but you will fall. We, we often will, will quote this idea that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some will be forced to the ground. Some will willingly kneel before the king of kings. And I hope and pray that you've done that today, that you have already knelt on your own accord on the Lord's promptings to kneel before his throne. There will be, for some, no entrance into the kingdom of our Lord. Instead, there will be eternal destruction in the bowels of hell. We don't teach... Um, We've kind of gotten away, and it's a good thing, uh, the, the fire and brimstone preaching uh, of back in the day of the 60s, 70s, and 80s has kind of passed away a little bit. And for the most part, that's a good thing. But in my opinion, we've swung it a little bit too far, that there is no fear. There is no fear of hell, that in, in, the, in the end, everything's just going to work out. As long as I'm good, as long as I kind of go to church a little bit and, and put on a collared shirt so I don't look crummy, uh, not saying you look crummy at all. Hunter and Corbin. Anyway, uh, as long as we do these things, eh, it'll, it'll end up working well in the end. And we've lost any kind of fear of judgment. And the reality is, chapter 2 reminds us there will be those who are banished to the bowels of damnation. Uh, verse uh, 1 and 2, look there. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and will even deny the master who bought them. Now, we don't have time for this. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do a video this week. Uh, if you watched Alex's, he kind of went more in depth this last week on his message. I'm going to address limited atonement. Um, because that is one of the questions that comes up with this is, A, is, is God's atonement limited on who can receive? And two, can you lose your faith? And, and we don't have time this morning to really unpack that. So I'm going to do a video that kind of addresses that uh, this week. But this is specifically talking about the fact that the master, some of your, uh, some of your uh, versions will say the Lord. The, the better version is God himself. Uh, three persons of the Trinity, but God himself bought, if you hearken back to Israel, he bought them out of Egypt, okay? Now, that doesn't mean every single one of them uh, cast their allegiance to this God of Israel, but nevertheless, he bought them, right? Uh, it would be the same thing, uh, and most of us know this, just because we bring our kids to church doesn't mean they're automatically going to have faith. And just like these individuals were bought out of captivity and slavery, doesn't necessarily mean that they were followers of Jesus. In fact, there are some really bad people um, that are in that group. So they're not, he's not talking about true followers of God, uh, kind of part of the crowd. Uh, so this is not referring to losing your faith, because here's another truth. We can't lose our relationship with God. There's nothing we can do. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. Uh, this is those who look the part, but they're wolves in sheep clothing looking to devour. 
And then it goes on to say, in this way, they will bring on sudden destruction. If you're into underlining and circling your body, this is a great word. I would encourage you to highlight and circle. Literally, uh, every time this word is used throughout scripture, destruction is always tied to eternal damnation. Uh, So it's not just destruction in the present, it's destruction for the life that is to come eternally. Uh, Verse two, many will follow their evil teachings and shameful immorality, and because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. Friends, we're living in that time even now, that the way of the truth is slandered on a regular basis, and and it's almost expedited now on a daily basis. The truth is being slandered. It's being twisted. It's being muddied, and often it looks so closely tied to the truth, and that's why there are warnings, 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 Warnings. Okay, so first things first. The false prophets who will be among the Christians will secretly introduce their destructive heresies. We know this from anybody who's twisted and demented and deceitful. They don't let you know, hey, I'm gonna work you over to Kohl's here. You you don't ever go to a car dealership. Anybody work at a car dealership? Uh, Good, okay. You don't go to a car dealership and they go, just so you know, uh, I'm gonna deceive you. So the, the price that you're going to pay is significantly higher than you ought to be paying. And they don't let you know that. They secretly do it. They meet with you and they go, ooh, I got to go talk to the vice president. And they go get some water. And then they come back and they go, oh, you're asking for that? Ooh, I got to go talk to the CEO. And then they go get a donut and they come back. Like, they're not going to let you know their deception, And that's what's happening with these false teachers. They are going to slander, but they are going to introduce secretly destructive heresies. The term heresy comes from the Greek word hieresis. And this conveys an idea of giving a choice. That's the whole idea of a heresy, is to give a choice. Provide an alternative, if you would, to the truth, which is closely related. In other words, uh, a heresy is not some off-the-wall thinking at first. It's a, tr- it, it's a false narrative that's very closely related to the truth. You all know this, especially if you have kids. Uh, kids learn very well how to um, get through interrogation uh, from parents because they'll give you like a little bit of the truth, but not all of the truth. You guys with me or just my kids? All right, there's a few hands. Awesome. So you see, this is, this is a reality. Wherever crucial truth, write this down or take a picture. Wherever crucial truth is at stake, alternatives will be offered. You might say, wow, that sounds like our times. I'm not getting politically. I'm not getting into science. But all of this, whenever crucial truth is at stake, alternatives will be offered politically, socially, scientifically, relationally, doctrinally, theologically. There will always be counterfeits where ultimate truth is at stake. And that's the enemy's way. All the way back to Adam and Eve. It's an alternate to the truth. It's an alternate 
to the directive. And the reason why there's so many of these warnings that are going on right now is these are people who know the truth, but these false teachers make it sound so good. It's like if you walk in somewhere and someone goes, hey, would you like a selection of one of our healthy donuts? And you go, oh my gosh, a healthy donut? Yeah, I'm in. Like, there's no such thing as a healthy donut. It just doesn't, and if it is, it's not a donut. Right? Amen? That's just truth. That's the enemy's way to make it look so good, so closely tied to the truth that it gives you an alternative to the truth. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, we read that men claimed to speak from God when he had not sent them. And the New Testament church, there were those whose explanations and application of doctrine was false and destructive. We read this all the time. For Peter, the false teachers are on the scene. That this isn't something that's coming. This is something that's here and now. They're at work. They're deceiving. And many of them look and sound really good and convincing. This is foreshadowing. I'm reading, uh, I'm doing an in-depth study on the book of Revelation. I've never preached a series on Revelation because I'm too scared to do so. So I'm doing this long, in-depth reading and study in Revelation. And um, so much of it I, I don't get. But nevertheless, I... Uh, when the Antichrist comes, and he is coming, he's going to look so good. He's going to sound so right. It's going to make sense logically to you and I. And it will be such a heresy because it's so closely tied to the truth that it gives you an alternative to the truth. That's what's coming. So these teachers, they're at work. They're deceiving. And the first thing we learn about these folks is that they're denying the master who bought them. If you, if you want to underline and circle this word, circle the word bought and then circle the word master and you can put an arrow for master and make that God. What does this mean? As with most heresies, Jesus Christ is being tainted. He's not altogether dismissed. If you go to lots of religions uh, throughout the world, they will tell you Jesus existed. They will tell you they honor Jesus. They will tell you they uh, will even at times worship Jesus. But he is tainted. And that is what is happening here in our passage. Some aspect of God's personhood, his work, his ultimate plan is being denied. But Peter never tells us what aspect that is. He could have, but he didn't. My belief of why he didn't name specifically what doctrine was being addressed specifically is because we camp out on certain words. Christians are the worst. We find a passage and we go, oh, the Bible says, the Bible says, but we didn't read the whole Bible. We, we just read that verse. So part of the reason why I think some things are obscure is because God knew humans were going to read it, and we would just jack it up, which we do. In fact, you get the impression in chapter 2 that the error of the false teachers was an error in their morality more than their doctrine. But the two are never quite really separate, are they? You know this in your life. I know this in my life. Just take a healthy, honest 
uh, full of integrity examination, and you know this. How you live and honor Christ are always succeed and fall together. Think about that. How you live and honor Christ always succeed and fall together. In fact, you, so in other words, you can't live one way and succeed and honor Christ in another way. Eventually, you are either going to fall with the two together in parallel or you're going to rise with the two in parallel. Not sinless, not perfect. That's not in any way what we're talking about. But we are talking about how you live. It's possible to live in such a disobedient way that Christ is looked down upon and condemned by our behavior. You see these people. Uh, Sandy and I were at dinner a couple weeks ago uh, downtown uh, Denver, and just outside our restaurant, Caddy Corner, was a huge group of believers, uh, which I believe is the right intention. Please hear what I'm about to say. I'm not condemning them. I'm just showing a contrast. And they had the loudspeaker, and they were doing street evangelism, and they were essentially preaching hellfire and brimstone. Maybe you've seen those type of people, or maybe you've heard them, or you know about them. And Sandy and I walked in, we heard them, uh, noticed them, we went in. And I had a prompting, and uh, we were on a date, uh, but I had, I had prayed before we went for our, our time away. I said, God, I'm, I'm going away, as a, a, away from being a pastor. I'm going away from being a friend. I'm going away from being a dad. Uh, I'm just going to be Brian's husband with my beautiful bride. So help me just to be in the moment. And I said, but I'm not off duty for you. So if you want to use me, put me in. And so we sat there, and they brought us our water, and I just had this gut to go outside. And I'm like, Sandy, I got to go outside in the middle of our date, so I leave her. We haven't ordered nothing, uh, and so I leave her. And thankfully, I have a bride who understands. So I go outside, and I'm standing. I, I literally walk out. I lean up against this pole, and I'm listening. And, and, and what they're saying is absolutely right. How they're saying is making me cringe. And uh, this woman walks up within seconds of me being outside, and she goes, so you believe this? Creative language, insert uh, and I go, you know what? Yeah, I definitely believe what they're saying. I just, I don't know about how it's going. And she's like, really? So we end up having this discussion. We're in the midst of a discussion for like two minutes. And this other gentleman walks up on my right. So now I'm sandwiched. And he goes, you guys going to church too? I said, yep, sure are. So now I'm thinking about Sandy. I'm like, okay, uh, I got to get in for my date. And yet, here I am on the adventure for the Lord. And so we end up having this discussion on effectiveness of truth and being able to unpack and at least uh, struggle with truth. And, and I'm sitting here, and it's starting to get to that point where it's not small talk anymore. I'm like, maybe Sandy will just order, and I'll see her afterwards. <laughs> so we're, we're talking, and then like this, they go, all right, got to go. And they both just poof are gone and I'm standing there by myself. And I thought, man, the adventure of following Jesus and the difficulty with truth. So I go walking back into the restaurant and Sandy goes, who'd you end up talking to? <laughs> she knows. And so we ended up just kind of unpacking that. You see, the, the, the truth can be so quickly tainted. 
how it's delivered can be swayed just a little bit. And the intention to make sure those people understand the truth can be ruined by how we live our life. It's possible to do that. And that seems to be what's happening here. But there's a clue in this little phrase in verse one, master who bought them. In verse one, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 20, Paul says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. So because of that, glorify God in your bodies. And Peter said in, his, in the, the first letter, which we did last, last COVID, uh, uh, last year in 1 Peter chapter 118 in the ESV, he says, you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your fathers with the precious blood of Christ. You were rescued. And see, when the apostles spoke about being ransomed by Christ, they pictured us as slaves of sin and Satan being purchased from and made free from sin to serve Christ. It was this transaction, the, the divine transaction that took place. In other words, we belong to a new master with new promises, new truth, new hope. And so are superior to the promises of the world that we can escape from. Again, we sing the song, all your promises are yes and amen. The world has promises as well. All of its promises are lie, lie, lie. You understand the difference? You can get promises. Over here, yes and amen, life, peace, comfort, uh, 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 self-worth, being part of something bigger than you. Over here, the world officers offers promises that are empty and lead to death and lead to destruction. And they both look super similar. So thus the warning. Warning, warning. And when this happens, when, when Jesus comes in and rescues us, as 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter talks about, we praise Jesus and we proclaim his worth. But if we live in the grip of the enemy, which at times we can choose to, in a moment you can choose to live in the grip of the enemy, Rather than living the way that we just talked about, we downgrade Christ and we deny the master who bought us. See, you've been bought. You can deny that purchase. You can deny the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. You can deny all that he has for you, but nevertheless, you've been bought, much like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. There were many who denied him and walked away. He bought them in love nevertheless. And again, in this case, morality of these teachers and their corrupting actions are affecting their ability to praise. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 real quick. Paul says, it is actually reported that there's immorality among you and of a kind that is not found among the pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife and you are arrogant. The same attitude seems to mark uh, the false teachers in 2 Peter. Uh, Mark Arnett will unpack 
verse 18 next week, but I'll give it to you now. It says, they brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. In other words, those who get away for a little bit, those who get themselves out of it and yet are pulled right back in. Maybe you can relate. You've, you've prayed and asked God for forgiveness and, and you've given that promise back to him. I will never, Lord, if you just forgive me, I'm so, so sorry. If you can get me out of this whatever, uh, this speeding ticket, uh, if you can get me out of this struggle with my marriage, I will never, ever, ever do that again, Lord. And then we find ourselves a month, six months from now, six weeks, six hours, praying the exact same prayer again. We're just pulled right back in. That's the action of the enemy. They're bold. They're self-willed. They despise authority because they cannot stand any control on their passions. Does that sound very similar to today's times? Cannot stand authority. Cannot stand submitting to anyone. You be you. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Ecclesiastes knows there's nothing new under the sun. And this helps us understand verse one, where it says they deny the master who bought them. They don't want a master. They don't want someone who's going to rule. Why? Because a master means authority and submission. They despise authority. They despise the idea of submission. Quote, I answer to no one. And this begins to shed a lot of light now on chapter one. This is why it's important to read the whole breadth of scripture because chapter one now begins to make a lot more sense. I, I hope you have been. If you haven't, I'm gonna encourage you to do so. We still have several weeks of, of this series in Second Peter. I'm gonna encourage you, please be reading this throughout the week. Things will begin to pop up. You're gonna, God's gonna highlight things that you weren't aware of uh, week one and week two, and then boom, week three. It makes more sense. This helps us understand chapter one. For example, in verse four, where Peter tells us that the promises of God enable us, what? To escape the corruption that is in the world because of passion. Well, this passage in chapter two helps us even understand that. And verse six, where Peter stresses that we uh, add to our knowledge self-control. Why is that important for Peter in chapter one? Well, if you don't read chapter two, you're not gonna understand that. The reason why self-control is so important is because that's the life of the follower, is you don't give in to your, own, uh, your, your, your passions. You control it. You say no. And it becomes clear in chapter one that Peter is choosing his words in view of false teaching very, very carefully. Why? Because he loves these people. And why does he love these people? Because God loves these people. He cares so deeply for them. And let's transfer that here today for you. He cares so deeply for you. He's gonna warn you repeatedly over and over and over. Stop watching that. Stop listening to that. 
break up with this person. Change jobs. Stop hanging out with that group. Stay off the computer. Get your finances right. He's gonna warn us, not because he wants to slap our hands, but because he wants to keep us from falling in pits. He doesn't have to do that. He only does that because he loves us. He's crazy about us. And finally, deceptive teachers selfishly represent what? They represent greed. Verse three in the ESV, and in their greed, they will exploit you, we're gonna talk about that, with false words. Their condemnation from a long time ago is not idle. Their destruction, there's that word again, is not to sleep. The word exploit is poor ma'am. It's this marketing term to, to have the idea of traffic or trade. It's this uh, contractual agreement. The word false translates to the Greek word platos, which is fabricated or imitation. It's not real. It's like Cheetos, and they say there's cheese on them. That is not cheese. In fact, I don't even know what Cheeto is. It's fake, it's imitation, it's, it's something. And by replacing the truth, listen, by replacing the truth with a cheap but very, very convincing imitation, false teachers wanna make it easy for us to adopt falsehoods that sound very logical and convincing instead of the truth. That's what a false teacher wants to do. They just want to very slowly give you an attraction and slowly kind of convince you and before you know it, you're thinking like them, you're talking like them, you're defending them. I'll give you an example. Uh, abortion. I have heard so many Christians defend abortion and I'll be real upfront and honest with you, it boggles my mind. Now I know, I, I almost didn't talk about this, but if you, if you want to talk offline with me, please do that. Um, but I've heard so many Christians go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. It's death, it's murder. You can splice it however you want. You can use all the world's explanations. But think about the woman. Think about her choice. Think about, think about, think about, think about, think about. The Bible says it's sin and it's wrong. But the world will give very convincing explanations for it. And so many people, probably some of you in this room, have fallen for the deception of false teachers that defend and march for literally the destruction of trillions of babies is absolutely beyond my ability to comprehend. Because the truth and the lie seem so parallel and close to one another that we go, well, it kind of makes sense. Kind of makes sense logically. And you could take abortion and you could sub in several other topics that are available in our world that false teachers have done an awful good job of making it sound really, really good. And as Peter has done repeatedly, warning, 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 warning. And so we do that today. 
Why? Because some of you might go in another church. Some of you might visit another church. Some of you are in college or high school. You might go away to to college in another church, and you have to be able to distinguish what is doctrinal teaching, what is based on the scriptures, and what is not for your own safety. So what does all this mean? The question becomes, how do we avoid being swept into the waves of deception? And I just want to give you three quick things to just remember. Um, some of you as kids remember stop, drop, and roll. Anybody remember that? If you get, like if you find yourself being caught on fire. Like they don't teach you how to balance your checkbook, but they teach you if you get caught on fire. How many people ever get caught on fire? Like I, why they choose, like whatever. Um, nevertheless, stop, drop, and roll. Um, this is stop, look, and listen. First of all, stop. When, when you wonder, am I, am I near a teacher who's possibly teaching me false doctrine? Am I with a teacher who's maybe teaching me their opinion? Am I with a teacher that's kind of giving me loosely related truth? I want you to stop. Stop and refuse to go deeper in that person's teachings. Refuse it. Refuse it, even if it seems harmless at, on, the, on the surface, even if it seems like the surface is kind of good, it's pretty loosely, pretty, pretty, pretty good. It's never enough to be entertained. It's never enough to be persuaded or inspired by the charm of another person. Slam the brakes. Compare what that individual or that institution or that organization is teaching. Compare that with what you know the Holy Spirit says and what you know the scriptures say. Uh, Compare what you're hearing to the central doctrines of the faith. Don't be afraid to get up and either walk or run. And there are times to run and get out. Number two, look. Observe the life of the teacher. Observe the life of the leadership. Observe the lives of those who are in charge of any organization, church, ministry, movement, etc. Do they model Christ? Do they lift Christ up or do they lift themselves up? Do they want all the attention to be on Jesus or do they want some of that? Do they give you mostly their opinion or do they go give you mostly doctrine and the truth of the scriptures? How do they speak about others? Are they humble? Are they held accountable? Or are they off running, doing their own thing with absolutely no accountability? Which is it? Finally, do they submit to the authority of God on a regular basis? Are, is this individual or this group of leaders, are they doing that? Finally, listen. Pay close attention to the words that are used. Don't just listen to what is said, but how it is said. I refer you to the, to the street preachers of, of hell and fire and brimstone. Don't fall for the trap of judging something because it makes you feel good or because it fits your worldview, or because you come to church and go, wow, that just felt really, really good. 
I laughed a lot, I was encouraged, and I just feel all warm and fuzzy. Careful. Careful with that. Because scripture mostly is not warm and fuzzy. Certainly chapter two. Don't fall for the trap of judging something because it supports your thinking. In fact, if you're somewhere where it pushes you and stretches you and causes you to think and maybe makes you feel a little uncomfortable, that might be a good place. Listen with critical thinking. We've lost that art today. Critically think about what you're hearing and allow your heart to be discerning. That's all the time we have um, for today. Our verses in chapter two and the remaining of chapter two, which Mark will address next week, are both truths and warnings. Truth and warnings for the local church throughout Asia Minor, as Peter is addressing, but also for those who read the eternal words ever since, including you and I today. So I wanna encourage you with this. Be careful. There are so many podcasts there's so many teachings, there's so many books, there's so many articles. Be careful about what sways you. R.C. Sproul said this, and I'll finish. R.C. Sproul said, Christianity must, in the final analysis, be evaluated not on the basis of us, but on the basis of him. Never evaluate the basis of your faith on an individual, no matter how much respect you might have for them, no matter how much you love their teaching or, or their writing, or if it's a worship leader, they're singing. Evaluate in your final analysis on the basis of Jesus Christ. For he is the only one that has ever walked this planet. He is the only one who's ever existed that you can trust. He's the only one whose foundation which we stand upon in good times and in bad. He's the only one whose foundation will never crack will never be diminished, will never fade, and will always withstand the test of time until he decides it's time to bring us home. And that's why we gather, in part because life is darn hard. It's sad sometimes. It's scary sometimes. It's daunting but there's a hope and there's a strength that is beyond this world. And it's offered to you today and every minute thereafter. Choose to tap into that hope. Choose to tap into that strength. Choose to tap into that peace. In the name of Jesus Christ.